to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's show guest is none other than Doug Casey. Doug is a New York Times bestselling author, world-renowned speculator, and he's the founder and chairman of Casey Research. Casey Research is a financial newsletter publisher, which advises its readers on investments ranging from stocks, precious metals, and other alternative investments. Doug's views have traditionally always been quite polarizing, which has sparked a lot of healthy debate and controversy, especially when it comes to his views on capitalism and the U.S. government. Suffice it to say, it was a very interesting discussion we had today. Now, this episode veers more on the side of investing. So for the listeners out there that are interested in personal investing and how to make money, this is definitely one for you. We touch on some interesting topics around the difference between investing and speculating, what key elements it takes to be successful as a speculator, what the next country is that Doug thinks is ripe to make a lot of money off of speculation, and finally, which asset class we should all be looking at right now amid this quote-unquote everything bubble. I hope you guys will enjoy this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. Let's get right onto the show. Doug, nice to speak with you again. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, please tell our audience where you are right now. <laughs> well, we're lucky that we got to uh, speak this morning, Jay. I'm, uh, I live uh, half the year in Argentina and part of the year in Uruguay, uh, the backward little socialist country across the Plate River from Argentina. But I like it here, believe it or not. Because uh, although it's a backward little socialist country, the government generally leaves you alone. And I have a very nice estancia here. So I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of no, nowhere, close to the ocean, but in the middle of nowhere wow. on a thousand acres. And occasionally stuff like the electricity goes out. Mm. So I'm glad we caught up with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I, I believe the last time we spoke, you were actually, I feel like you were in Colorado or somewhere stateside, but... Uh, I don't know where you, you're, you're a world traveler, so it's hard to, <laughs> to keep up with uh, with your travels. But uh, but we appreciate it. We appreciate the time, and we're excited to have you on. Uh, maybe you could just give us a quick introduction of who's Doug Casey. And, uh, you know, I mean, a, a lot of my listeners will probably have heard of you. Um, but for the minority that haven't, maybe you could give us a quick background uh, and how you sort of became an investor. I know you're also a, you know, best-selling author as well. So you could give us a little bit of color there. I guess I'm best known as the author of several books. Uh, two uh, were on the New York Times list. One was number one for uh, a dozen weeks. That was crisis investing. Over the years, I've traveled to uh, 155 countries, most of them many times, mm. uh, lived in 10 different countries, and um, uh, watch all the markets uh, around the world. And uh, most recently, I've started writing novels. And uh, the first two, uh, one is Speculator, uh, which talks about theories of speculation in the context of our hero, Charles Knight getting involved in a bush war in Africa and a gold mining fraud. And the second is called Drug Lord, where Charles, uh, after he made a couple hundred million dollars and had it stolen from him in Africa, mm. uh, gets into the drug business 
as a drug lord. And uh, that's actually quite technically competent talking about the way the drug business works, both legal and illegal, incidentally. So that's uh, kind of who I am, I guess. Now, those uh, those books, are they out now? Yeah, they are. Uh, you, oh, great. You can get them on Amazon or you can go to High Ground Books, highgroundbooks.com. And uh, they're, they're quite good. They've won awards and so forth. So many books published every year, most books of whatever genre, most people just don't hear about but uh, these are excellent novels. Well, fantastic. I can't wait to uh, to link them up in the show notes, and hopefully the uh, readers will be able to purchase some, some of your books and, and read all about them. Now, I know that you are, like you said, have traveled extensively, over 150 countries uh, in the world. And um, tell us a little bit about how you started off as an investor. What got you, you into this whole uh, world of investing? Well, Actually, the first thing I wanted to be when I was a kid, like many kids, was a paleontologist, or maybe not many. Maybe most kids want to be baseball players or firemen. I'm not sure. But uh, very interested in dinosaurs, and that's the division of geology. And then later, I read a brilliant book, which I recommend to everybody, called Economics in One Lesson by Henry Hazlitt. Only 150 pages, but a gem, a work of genius. I put geology together with... Uh, economics and um, came up with gold as actually being money, which people don't, most people don't realize, uh, continued researching it. And uh, my first book was a book called The International Man, a guidebook to making the most of your personal freedom and financial opportunity hmm. around the world. But my second book was Crisis Investing. And it was a huge bestseller because my timing was right, as, as well as the theory being sound. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was back... Um, Gee, a long time ago now, uh, in 1979, when uh, most people have forgotten that interest rates on government paper was 15%, 16 17%. Uh, so it looked like the world was coming to an end. And uh, this book talked about what to do and how to profit from it. And then from there, I uh, set up a newsletter publishing business, and I still do that today under the mm -hmm. banner caseyresearch.com. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. And you even there, you even have a, uh, I don't know if it's a sub newsletter or one of your just, I guess, divisions called called International Men. Is that right? Uh, yes, that's a, a free blog, a daily blog. It's actually quite excellent. Uh, done by Nick Giambruno, who's a uh, who's kind of a protege of mine. And uh, I do things for it too, occasionally. So uh, I'm curious, Doug, after, you know, over the years, you've obviously seen the ups and downs and, and uh, have, have traveled the world what would you say your investment style is if you could classify it as one uh, sort of style i mean you're obviously a global investor uh, would you call yourself somewhat of a contrarian investor well i'm definitely a contrarian insofar as i don't even consider myself an investor i consider myself a speculator now why is that uh speculators have a a, a bad name a bad reputation it's because the world is changing so quickly and is also so unstable today uh, because of uh, huge government interventions in all areas of the economy, uh, debasing the currency, regulating, changing taxes, usually up, makes it very hard to be a, an investor. Who An investor is somebody who takes a dollar someplace 
and invests it in a business hoping to grow it to $2. Very intelligent methodology and certainly one that Warren Buffett has used most successfully. A speculator is different. A speculator is somebody who looks at distortions, generally politically caused distortions in the marketplace and attempts to capitalize them on them. And as a speculator, things usually are, we're looking for volatile things, things that are extraordinarily depressed or extraordinarily overpriced and uh, mm -hmm. acting accordingly. So a speculator is quite different from an investor. Most people confuse a speculator with a gambler, which is totally incorrect. A gambler is just somebody that's playing a zero-sum game where chance is 100% mm. the determinant. So another distinction worthwhile making. So so when you are, I guess, hunting for these speculative type situations, what is your what is your MO, so to speak? I mean, you you, you obviously have your ear on the ground in, the, in a number of different areas. I know you spent a, a number of years or a lot of time in Africa uh, where you perhaps had some quite profitable speculative uh, bets, if you will. What what is your what is your process in 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 how you seek out and find these sort of uh, speculative opportunities? Well, the original Baron de Rothschild uh, is famous for having said, "Buy when blood is running in the streets." Mm -hmm. uh, he said that during the Napoleonic Wars, and um, that's still good today. So wherever there is chaos and fear, prices are likely to be low. Uh, there are likely to be a lot of people that for good reasons or bad reasons, have to sell whatever they have to get out of Dodge. So this is why uh, ideally uh, a speculator is very internationally oriented because at least since, well, for its whole history actually, the U.S. has been one of the most stable and prosperous countries in the world. Uh, therefore, the U.S. Uh, offers fewer speculative opportunities generally than other crazy places. So, um, I mean, talking about Africa, the big one that got away for me, but would have changed my entire life course, was uh, during the war in uh, Rhodesia, which no longer exists and is now called Zimbabwe, of course. We've been to Rhodesia and Zimbabwe many times over the years. And um, there was a uh, fantastic piece of real estate. It was a castle built by Italian prisoners of war uh, during and after World War II. Uh, beautiful, incredible castle with a nine-hole golf course and 50 hectares of coffee and all kinds of stuff right on the Mozambique border. Beautiful. Uh, I could have gotten that uh, whole thing. Uh, it was run as a bed and bre breakfast, incidentally. I could have gotten that and the silverware and the linen and everything for $85,000. Mm, yeah. I had the money. So, so why didn't I do it? Because I realized that since the, this was at the height of the war, that unless I stayed there in 24 hours, everything would be stripped naked and it would be gone. Uh, that's just the way things were back then. <laughs> So should I have bought it or shouldn't I have? Well, I would have had to have stayed there. My whole life would have been different. But uh, that was 1979. And uh, when I went back to Zim the next time or time after, I forget, but it was 1985 and it had just changed hands for $13 million. So simply holding on to it for six years would have been a gigantic score. And $13 million then 
was worth a lot more than 13 million today i promise you i mean i think that i think the africa so i mean okay so the africa there's a, there's a hurdle that's involved and if you want to get involved like if you want to look at africa even and i think that a lot of uh, outsiders are are wary of that hurdle because they don't they've heard bad things and they they haven't ever been there and uh, they don't know what's a scam and what's real but I guess uh, as a speculator, if you go over there and spend some time there and you start to get to know the landscape and make some connections there, then that makes the uh, opportunities seem a little bit more reasonable and uh, you have a little bit more comfort there, uh, which I guess is, is the reason why speculating, if you do it right, it can be adventurous and you can get an edge by just kind of outworking people and kind of make doing the trips and actually doing the on the ground field research. Yeah. Because I don't believe in a level playing field. Uh, I like to be on an unlevel playing field where I have the high ground. So you go to a place like Africa, almost certainly you're going to have much more experience, uh, more money, better connections. You're going to have everything over the local population. So you can bring something to the party. And as a foreigner in these countries where few people go, Uh, I've found I can be sitting down with the president of the country in a week or two weeks from a a standing start. Uh, Impossible in in an advanced Western country. Now, I don't particularly recommend Africa as a lifestyle choice, but as a place to make money, fantastic. Right. And also, let me point out, Jay, that uh, this is a big thing going on in the world today. Few people are aware of the fact that um, the population is dropping stable to dropping or dropping radically in uh, most countries of the world, including including even in Asia at this point, the only place the population in the world is growing is Africa. And by the turn of the next century, 2100, that is, 45% of all the people in the world are going to be from Africa south of the Sahara. This is quite an amazing figure. So, uh, something most people never think about. Well, it's so far in the future. Why bother? But the trend is in motion over this time. Well, it's a, it's important to, to spot these trends. You told me uh, before that you had spent some time in Asia as well, uh, and Hong Kong, as a matter of fact. And I don't know if you still have it, but I know that you own some property here as well. That was that was uh, quite a number of years ago. Is that right? Yes. I bought, I bought an apartment in Causeway Bay above the... Uh, Hong Kong Yacht Club. I was overlooking it. I was on the other side of the highway. Bought the top floor of a building, and uh, it was during a China crisis. What year was that? 1986. Anyway, at the time, everybody was afraid that China was going to take over Hong Kong. I mean, before the transfer actually occurred, there were these occasional crises. And you could buy a top floor apartment for less than a ground floor apartment because they were afraid the Chinese weren't going to fix the elevators. I mean, it was a different world back then. And and of course, since then, uh, Hong Kong has had one of the hottest real estate markets in the world. I sold that place for more than 15 times what I paid for it. Wow. I sold it uh, four, five, three, four years ago. Wow, that's incredible. incredible. I, I wouldn't buy Chinese real estate uh, today or Hong Kong real estate in particular. It's too expensive. I like to go places that are really nice, but really inexpensive. And in effect, I get paid for living there. So uh, I did this in Spain before Spain entered the EU and things exploded Mm -hmm. upwards because predictably all the northern europeans 
wanted to live in southern Spain, uh, which became easily possible as it joined the EU. And real estate prices reflected that. And, oh God, where else? New Zealand. I bought a lot of land in New Zealand in the late 90s. I went there to play polo. I used to I played polo for many years. I played polo in Palm Beach, where it was very expensive, very expensive. And I didn't like the social ambiance or anything about it. But I went to New Zealand, and uh, I found that it was uh, a totally different culture. It was really nice farm polo, and uh, you didn't have to pay pros. And so I bought a lot of land and played polo down there for years. But I bought bought this stuff when the Kiwi dollar was 39 cents U.S., subsequently went to as high as 86 and also, New Zealand was a very backward little socialist country uh, in those days. And uh, anybody with any sense and money for a plane ticket to Sydney or London or L.A. got on it. So it was suffering a brain drain. And prices in the Kiwi dollars were very low. Well, everything changed. You know, it, it became a bubble. It's a bubble in New Zealand now. So I've sold so Thing. Yeah, I mean, New Zealand is, it's like a billionaire's safe ground now, uh, because it's way off the grid. And uh, I guess North Korea can't, their missiles can't reach it or whatever. But uh, I'm, I'm just curious. Doug. Don't worry about North Korea's missiles. That is that is not going to happen. Because if, if you want to attack another country, the last thing you do is use a, a ballistic missile. I mean, that's, that's the worst way, the dumbest way to do it. So no, that, forget about that. North Korea is not going to do anything. Uh, although the U.S. Right, the U.S. is a big danger in the world today, actually. Yeah, and uh, and the, you have a, a good reputation, I should say, that of holding some strong views, polarizing views, which always uh, make for interesting discussion. Uh, but I'm just curious, as you over the years, you you know, 150 countries, like how do you when you see an opportunity forming, maybe it's like a macro picture that you're you're monitoring from a, from a distance, and you see. Uh, whether it's a currency situation or a political situation forming where you might be able to go in and uh, with the, the, the right timing be able to speculate on a, you know, say a property and take advantage and exploit uh, the crisis. How long does it take you to sort of establish a thesis and then actually go in and do the groundwork and set everything up? Uh, you know, because a lot of these countries, it's not that simple for, I guess, a foreigner to just waltz in and say, buy an apartment, right? That's true. Uh, usually an apartment isn't a problem anywhere. They don't care about that. Buying actual proper real estate, farmland and all that is often a problem in countries. It depends. But you just have to size things up and uh, ask yourself, uh, are people afraid of this country? Uh, is it a country that has a culture that might turn or allow it to turn around and get better in the future? You just add everything up together and, uh, and then act. So um, well, you're probably thinking of asking, well, where's the best opportunity right now? <laughs> you read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, uh, I think Argentina is. I was premature in Argentina because I we bought a lot of stuff down here in Argentina. Of course, I'm across the river in backward little Uruguay. But we bought a lot of stuff in Argentina during their last crisis, which was 2002. It looked like a, a neutron bomb Man. had gone off over Buenos Aires. There were no cars in the streets, no people. It was deserted. Where did all the people go? I guess they were staying in their apartments because they couldn't afford to go out or something like that. But um, so we took advantage of that. 
And it's been okay. But then, as can happen in these countries, they elected a, a, a moron, a criminal, a sociopath for president. And this happens all over the world because it's the worst kind of people that go into government, not the best and the brightest. So they elected uh, uh, the Kirchners. First, uh, what was that guy's name? He's dead now. And then his wife who was much worse than him, uh, Christina Kirchner. And she ran Argentina further into the ground for 10 years. Now right. um, she's out and uh, the new ruler of Argentina is a guy named Macri, who's got a lot of problems to solve, but he's a decent guy doing the right thing got generally the right uh, view on things. And Argentina is doing very well. In fact, I think Argentina, which has a terrible reputation, justifiable for investors, uh, may be the best place in the world to be right now. That's interesting. I want to ask you about a couple other areas that are extremely sort of buzzy and hot. And uh, you probably know what I'm going to ask you. But one of them, obviously, is is cryptocurrencies, which no, like I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. I, I everyone can only that's all anything anyone ever talks about um, is crypto. So I, I wanted to not take too long, but just hear quickly what your views on that. And then the other area that I'm excited about that I know that you uh, have done or are, are doing some work with under your publishing brand is is cannabis and, and marijuana and the future of that. Mm, that's true. Uh, both are true. Uh, I was given my first Bitcoin by uh, a young Belgian guy that came to visit with me uh, at a development I have in Argentina in Cafajate. Uh, it was a 2013 and it was worth about uh, $14 when he gave it to me. I bought him lunch. He gave me a Bitcoin. I still have it today. <laughs> uh, and um, I got involved in these things uh uh, in a big way last year, first of all, when I bought into a company called Hive Blockchain, which is a publicly traded Bitcoin miner, and that's done really well. Mm -hmm. It's not cheap anymore. Uh, and also buying Bitcoins and other cryptos, uh, most of which I've sold as of the first of the year, which is, say, what, three, four weeks ago now mm -hmm. for tax reasons. So what to do about cryptos? I'll say what everybody says. Blockchain is going to make it, whether the currencies make it or not, I don't know. The good thing about the currencies is this. They're an alternative to the fiat dollar, and they're drawing uh, the attention of a whole generation of people to the fact that all of these national currencies, dollars and pounds and euros and whatever, uh, are all just fiat currencies backed by nothing. Actually, they're, they're just the unsecured liabilities of bankrupt governments. So this is an advantage of Bitcoin and some of the other cryptos, mm -hmm. and especially for people in third world countries. They, they'll be able to use these things and save them and transfer them much more readily uh, and profitably potentially than dollars, which is what they want to get. That's three quarters of the people on the planet that have to use worthless things like quatches and pulas, uh, crazy currencies. So I, I, I like them, although I, I, I'm not in them right now anymore. Uh, I mean, it's gotten too crazy, you're right. Uh, and as far as the cannabis is concerned, I think it's going to become as big or bigger than the liquor industry for many, many reasons. It's criminally insane the way governments have uh, had this war on drugs for so many years because uh, there are many, many medically beneficial aspects to cannabis and many, many other Schedule Three drugs. Uh, that can't be investigated uh, because of these stupid laws, and millions of people have had their lives ruined because of them. So the legalization of cannabis is a very, very good thing. Mm -hmm. And it'll also open up the door to using hemp for uh, fiber, for clothing, and to replace wood pulp for books. 
well, the books are going away, I guess. But still, uh, I, I think that uh, cannabis has a lot uh, further to run. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I mean, it's uh, I, I personally haven't researched it that much, but uh, just from the macro perspective, uh, seeing the way sort of the regulations are going and and uh, it's it's just opening up it's 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 literally like if you're able to invest in you know any any number of plays it could be a long runway uh sort of like investing into a liquor uh, company in the prohibition or something similar to that so if you had to as a uh, i guess as an investor or a speculator uh in your shoes let's say for our young audience here listening and they're probably amped up now after hearing some of your stories and they want to get out there and and make a name for themselves if you had to rank uh, the following three criteria, let's say uh, intelligence, connections, uh, contacts, and uh, lastly, just sort of hustle and grit uh, and, and getting your hands dirty and doing the traveling, that sort of thing. How would you divvy up those three? What uh, What's most important and uh, to lead to success as a speculator? Mm, definitely the hustle and grit is the most important thing. Mm. Uh, there's all kinds of intelligent people uh, that are living in their mother's basements now and will continue to do so. So uh, the, the grit and hustle is number one. In intelligence, well, I think you can actually improve your intelligence. I right. think you can raise your intelligence. Uh, how do you do that? By reading lots of books, and that will allow you to um, put things together and have a better understanding of the world. So mm-hmm. anybody that isn't reading a lot of stuff written by intelligent, knowledgeable people is getting what they deserve, which is basically nothing. So that's number two. And then the the grit combined with the knowledge will help you go out there and hustle and um, get connections. Because there is a certain amount of truth to, um, well, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, you got to know something, otherwise nobody's going to want to know you. Mm-hmm. It's important to know lots of people so that when an opportunity comes up, you can call somebody to help you realize it. So all, all three, all three. In other words, there's no excuse for, there's really no excuse for failure. I mean, there's bad luck that happens and stuff like that, but you just have to keep uh, humping to make uh, life interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think that that's the, it's sort of the uh, allure and the magic of it all is that you don't need an Ivy League education and you don't need, you know, a, a pedigreed family or anything like that if if you just you know start off from the ground up and you hustle and you have grit and you then you kind of can form your own life right you can shape it how you want and um and i think that's the attractive thing actually about uh your type of lifestyle of speculating because a lot of people they think oh investors that make all this money it's only for people that are smart or, or went to work on wall street or blah 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 but it's not you know and then i think that that's the uh, the magic of it all it's that anyone can do it and you just have to build build upon it right you're ab- you're absolutely right because uh if you um even start with a dollar <laughs> everybody's got a dollar and uh you double a dollar every year after 30 years that's the number incidentally 30 uh, a dollar to the 30th power is about a billion <laughs> so if you can just double your dollar every year for 30 years you're a, a billionaire but 
probably you can start out with more than a dollar. So, sure. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 30 years. Um, okay. So you've, give, you've given us Argentina. We've talked about cryptocurrencies. We've talked about uh, cannabis. Any other uh, sort of nuggets that you can, can leave us uh, to start researching? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, we're in a bubble in most financial markets. We're in a hyper bubble in the bond market. Interest rates are going back up to levels higher than they were 40 years ago. I mean, they're going to ruin. Yes. That's already started from a very low level. So don't own bonds under any circumstances. Stocks are also in a bubble for many reasons. Generally, don't own stocks. Uh, real estate is in a bubble because interest rates are so low. So what do you do? Exactly. What do you do? And you can't own the dollar because they're going to destroy the dollar. Yep. I mean, that's going to happen. Well, this is the time when you own gold, silver, and commodities in general. The only thing that's cheap in the world now are agricultural commodities. Uh, wheat, soybean, cattle, uh, all the metals. Uh, all the foods, uh, cocoa, uh, coffee, things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's hard for most people to speculate in because uh, trading on the futures exchange is very, very volatile. It's easier to lose money and make money, even in a bull market. That's one thing. So what I suggest people do right now is look at these junior mining stocks. Uh, they've been going down for the last seven years. They're the most volatile class of securities on the planet. Most are traded in Canada. But when they start running, they go 10 to 1. They go 100 to 1. They go 1,000 to 1. As unbelievable as that sounds. And we're in a special situation right now. So I would learn about the mining industry and these exploration stocks. I think they're, people are going to make absolute fortunes in the next few years on them, in addition to other commodities. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's one of those areas, one of the few areas that can, like you say, just have that exponential growth. But you, you do have to do your work. I mean, a lot of people have lost a lot of money because they don't really know what they're doing. They throw some money into these uh, junior miners that, that haven't moved for years and they're kind of, they just sell it at a loss or whatever. So you kind of do have to do your research um, and do a little bit of hustling and, and grit there. But um, I, I agree with you there. Yeah, you have to learn something about geological theory and mining engineering and uh, something about the underlying commodities uh, because there are dozens of, of metals and other commodities that are mined. So yeah, there's a lot to learn about. You have to learn about the people running these companies, the way they're financed. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's not as simple as you might think, but you do some homework. This is the ideal time, and that's the, sec that's the area to be in, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for the next several years anyway. Yeah, I heard, I've I've heard that uh, as well from a number of of sort of your peers as well that uh, that are in the space, the likes of people like Rick Rule and and such that uh, are are deeply in that space, specifically around uh, yeah, like the junior miners, metals, and uh, stuff like uranium are all interesting at this uh, at this time at this juncture, particularly given the backdrop that you just uh, painted for us with everything the everything bubble, if you will. Thanks again for your time. And uh, I just wanted to ask you uh, about the projects that you're working on now. You did mention that you were working on some fiction, which is uh, is actually much harder to write than nonfiction, uh, from what I hear. Are there any things that you're working on that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah. Uh, at the end of this year, 
my co-author and I, John Hunt, who's uh, an MD who no longer wants to practice medicine because they make make your life so miserable being a doctor these days. Our third book in our series, the High Ground series, is Assassin, where our hero, Charles Knight, having had a couple hundred million dollars stolen from him uh, when he was a speculator and then a drug lord, uh, becomes an assassin. (laughs) And uh, this book is going to be very interesting because it's about political assassination, a hot topic. Yes. Uh, A lot of people say want to kill Trump. I'm not, I'm not one of them, incidentally. <laughs> um, examining the techniques and the history, and most importantly, the morality of uh, political assassination. Right. So look out for that one. But in the meantime, get in front of this by reading Speculator and Drug Lord. Right. Speculator and Drug Lord. And those are available on Amazon. Is that right? Yeah. Or on at, at, at highgroundbooks.com. Okay. Uh, and finally, where can where is the best place people can find you? I mean, I know you have Casey Research, but is there are you contactable or reachable on there or on social media or anything like that? I, I hate social media. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a huge time killer. Yeah. Yeah. We won't do that. <laughs> I guess I have an account I opened up many years ago on Facebook and one on LinkedIn, but I, I don't mess with them. Yeah. Uh, best thing for people to do is, if they want to contact me, send me an email at info at kcresearch.com yeah. or, or, or internationalman.com, either one. Yeah, sounds good. Um, yeah, and and and, uh, and and the uh, Casey Research site is pretty good. That uh, I'd recommend the uh, our, our audience to go check it out. There's, you guys, you guys actually have a lot of free stuff on there, which is which is pretty nice as well. Um, well, Doug, it's been yeah, it's been such a pleasure, man. Uh, I, I can hear birds chirping in the background there, so I'll let you get back to your. Uh... <laughs> I'm out in the country. You can hear the birds. You're right. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, thanks again for sharing your thoughts and your insights. Uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, we'll be in touch soon, Doug. Okay, Jay, there will be something gigantic and hopefully not tragic that will happen over the next six months, so uh, uh, we can get caught up uh, at that point, perhaps. When this thing happens, I will. you're, you're going to be the first person that I think of, <laughs> and I'll, I'll most certainly call you. <laughs> All right, Doug. Take care. Thanks again. Okay, fantastic, Jay. Talk to you later. All right, talk to you soon. Yep, bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. 
head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness. Yeah.